mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. What up? Let's get weird. It's your boy Tommy G here with episode 57 of the No Mercy podcast. Special edition podcast with two of my favorite people on the planet who are going to make me and you a lot of fucking money this week. First off, from Elite Fantasy slash Guru Elite slash Elite Betting slash whatever the fuck our site is called right now. My dude at Fried Egg Pauly on Twitter. Pauly Walnuts, what the fuck's up, son? What's up, Tommy? How's it going? Going good, man. You got to be a little excited for the uh, for what they refer to as the Super Bowl of golf, I believe. Yeah, this is Christmas for a little kid this week. Yeah, this is this is exciting stuff. And you're joined by one of our other friends of the family here at the PME on the Twitter and the Instagram and the Twitch and the Snap and every other social media device that Mayo has. Patrick Mayo. What up, Mayo? The key is to come up with an app where it filters all of the social media into one place so you don't have to have everything open at the same time. That's Do the they move. have that? No, but I mean, some, I mean I'm mean, i sure it exists, but you know, I, I could use it. If anyone wants to invent that, I will pay for it. Oh, Mayo, like that's off-air shit, dude. Like you just cost us a billion dollars. Uh, listen, do you know anything about coding? Because I don't. No, but I know nerds. Okay, well then, yeah, you will, I'll cut this out. How about that? All right, yeah, let's edit that part out. So for those of you that missed that part, Pat, for those of you that don't know, uh, obviously is a DraftKings contributor that made a big splash moving over there uh, and not coming with us, so fuck you. Wanted you and Paulie to be the dream team together, so so blow me. <laughs> And uh, also hosted a Pat Mayo experience. You got, Tell them where to find that, uh, Mr. Mayo. Yes, the iTunes. You can find it on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you can download podcasts. The PME is free, so go download that. I already have over seven hours of Masters coverage, and there's still more to come, and all the videos are up on DK Playbook and the DraftKings YouTube page. That's it. Just download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. Same as for No Mercy. Anytime you can leave those five stars, you have no idea how much that helps in finding new eyeballs to it because i mean i appreciate everyone who listens but i want the show to get bigger i give out enough and this is the way you can pass it off too i give out enough crappy advice that people listen to that you can just bet against all my picks and win all the money <laughs> <laughs> and, and you got fantasy national over there too give us 30 seconds on fantasy national yeah fantasy national is actually legit uh when i won my 20k at the heritage last year it was right really when i started digging into fantasy national it's just super easy to use if you do golf research uh, it has customizable stats rolling stats you can set by any date range you want you can like everyone always talks about building their models well you can build your own model on fantasy national after you research the stats and all you have to do is use a slider and it prints you out power rankings lineup generators ownership projections tournament simulators there's player notes there's everything you need in one spot so i cannot recommend enough becoming a member at fantasynational.com if you spend more than 20 bucks per week either gambling or playing on DraftKings, it's well worth the membership so that's my spiel on fantasy national it's where i get all my stats from all my info from and it's taking me from a crappy DraftKings player to a good DraftKings player a winning DraftKings player which even i'm stunned by i mean listen i'm stunned by it too i mean knowing knowing how uh, lay you are lay <laughs> meaning layman uh, I'm, I'm very surprised that you went at that i know you're really good at, at golf though so i guess i guess it, it's a little bit understandable i'm still but, uh, i'm still a losing football player i'm just now a winning golf player <laughs> that's good i mean you're still a winner in life pat you're you're a great looking kid you got a beautiful family and uh, and you're pretty good on the microphone son so so you're a winner at life 
I'll take uh, Paulie, Paulie, my dude, who's been smashing golf for us over at Guru Elite forever. Uh, you guys know we switched over to EliteFantasy.com for all our DFS activity. We still have FantasyGuru.com, which is for your seasonal activity. And GuruElite.com right now is still the gambling site. We're going to be changing that over. It's going through an overhaul just like the other sites uh, probably in a couple weeks. But for right now, you can find all Paulie's bets over at GuruElite.com. Paulie, tell them a little bit about the packages and what you're going to be doing for the Masters here and and then throughout the year. Yeah, so for the golf uh, betting package, we have two different options. We have a a seasonal component that runs all the way through the FedEx Cup in August, or we also have weekly options. So if someone just wants to join for the Masters, they can do that. Uh, And then on special weeks for the Masters, uh, example this week, we have uh, my personal player rankings from 1 to 87, complete with all kinds of information, such as their finishes for this year, their uh, past performance in, in majors, past performance in the Masters, which is really a good tool that people can use for some of their office pools. As we know, that the Masters is the largest bet golf event of the year. It's really a good tool that they can use for that. Uh, and then they get access to that in the betting package. They also get access to a 24-7 chat where they can ask, ask me any questions on their pools, on uh, daily fantasy, on any bets they may have. And then also full access to my bet sheet, which I list every bet that I personally make with reasons and descriptions as to why we make that bet. Yeah, and Paulie's a professional gambler. The combination of the two of these guys, it's funny because before Pat got on, I actually said I was planning on doing a podcast with Paulie for the Masters and a podcast with Pat for the Masters. And to have you guys both on at the same time is great. The combination between the DraftKings stuff that Mayo is doing, very heavy, uh, fantastic stuff over there, and Fantasy National with the tools, and then Paulie's head-to-head picks and chat room, you literally have everything covered between Guru Elite, DraftKings, Fantasy National. Um, so I would advise getting involved in playing with all of it. But uh, Paulie, I just want to tell you, as someone who's, who brought you on, Paulie started in our chat, was a professional gambler, and has absolutely slayed it. And I will say that there's no one in our entire company who spends more time in the chat and puts more bets in over the course of a weekend than Paulie does. So you will have action after round one, after round two, after round three, after round four. And Mayo, I know you do the same thing. So uh, great stuff here, guys. I know fucking jack shit about golf. So my job here is to be the dumb listener. And I'm just going to tee you guys up for questions. As I, You can hear my paper crinkling over here as I fill out my sheets and my picks for what I'm going to go bet uh, at the sports book. So, uh, so Mayo, let's start with you. Uh, what's the first thing someone should know when either playing DFS or gambling on the Masters here? Is there one that's better than the other? What's the first thing you tell someone who this is their first experience? Uh, I'm always big on betting on golf. I invest far more money per week betting on golf than I do on DraftKings, despite the fact that I've won more on DraftKings than I have won on betting. Betting's just more fun. Uh, and golf right. betting is probably the most fun type of betting you can get. So one of the big things about Fantasy Nationals, we have a live leaderboard with uh, up-to-date strokes gain data, and it's really, really paid off huge dividends in the head-to-head betting market after each of the rounds. I know Polly has done a great job with that as well. But some of my favorite bets, and the Masters is a bit different because everyone is sort of you know, not a great value because where it is such a public event, they know that people are going to go to the book and they're going to bet Tiger Woods, they're going to bet Jordan Spieth, that you know, the odds aren't going to be what they probably should be. But I'm still in the market for head-to-head bets, top 20s, and first-round leader bets. Those are the three favorite things I can do. As for DraftKings, basically take all the old dudes, take all the amateurs, take all the first-timers, and just cut them out of your player pool and that's a really easy way to get rid of like 40 people in the field when you're making your lineups <laughs> all right paulie i know you 
do a ton of different types of fucking bets. So I know I got written down here that Mayo said head to heads, top 20s, first round leaders. What are some of your favorite bets and uh, what are some things that may be different in the Masters than other tournaments? Yeah, the nice thing about the Masters is that we have an expanded amount of betting options. So in a normal week where you maybe will have 30 or 40 tournament head to heads out there, I think this week we got like close to 90. So when you have that many betting options, there's going to be matchups out there to where there's going to be really good value to where you're on, you know, you're low on one guy versus high on the other. And you can really smash that head to head because there's so much value there. And what about, what about the weather? Is there any weather concerns, Paulie, for this, for this tournament? I know weather comes into play a lot in golf, whether it's the wind or, you know, how the course is running, whether it's, you know, firm or, or wet, what's the, uh, what's the situation for the masters that you're hearing so far? Yeah, they're getting a good amount of rain early in the week here, so it will make the fairways a little bit soft, but the greens still should be fairly firm, especially later on in the week, because they do have a sub-air system, which pretty much sucks the moisture uh, out of the greens there. Uh, and then f- into the tournament, there actually could be the possibility of some strong winds, especially on Sunday and possibly on Friday afternoon as well. How do you factor that shit in, Pat, Like as far as the winds? Do you start to look for guys who are playing – I know, I know they break it up in two parts, right? There's the AM and then the PM kind of shifts in golf, from what I know. So do you try to basically take your head-to-head matchups and play that, or do you not take that into consideration much this week? Uh, I consider it more in DraftKings lineups. The way that I'm seeing it right now, it doesn't look like there's a distinct wave advantage Thursday or Friday, and it's still weather. Like, we're going to be projecting it at best, you know, 12 hours out on a Thursday, 12 hours out on a Friday. Like when I looked three days ago, Saturday was just an absolute wreck and Sunday was fine. I'm looking at it now. Saturday looks like the best day of the year in Augusta uh, in terms of no wind and Sunday is just out of control. So leaning on Thursday, leaning on Friday is probably the best you can do. But like you mentioned, this is a shorter field. So the actual T stacks don't seem like they're going to pay an awful lot of dividends this week. If you can find someone in a good wave versus someone in a bad wave, that could be a spot to exploit. I'm just not seeing it. Uh, right now, at least for the first few days. It really comes into consideration when you play your like daily head-to-heads, although most of the time when you get into round two, round three, round four, you're either getting like your two balls or three balls where the guys are actually in the same groups that you're betting on, so they're at the course at the same time, and they won't waver too much even in terms of head-to-head. You might be able to catch them, but it's you know not looking great for that showdown contest. Uh, if there is a weather advantage during any one day, you just load up on the just the glorious side of the T advantage, and even if those guys are off the lead, you can win a lot. Uh, our just watchers of the show have had a lot of success going with that method. I forgot to give you my favorite bet though for the Masters. The to make the cut parlay is the most fun bet you'll place all year long because the books don't quite adjust to what it should be because there's only 87 guys in this field like. 25 of them are horrible. So just kind of cross them off. Think that like five of those 25 will probably make the cut. And now you're dealing with the top 50 in ties in a condensed field. So at least at minimum, 58% of the field is going to make the cut. And some of these guys suck. So it's really around like 75%. So I've played the last three years a 14 person to make the cut parlay. Uh, I haven't won it yet because I've gone 13 of 14 each of the years. And the last guy has ruined me three years in a row. I'm to play like a super Yankee or something like that and just get all the different combinations. But they, they always pay like 200 to one. They, they're super fun bets to make. And Paul, you do any of that? I do that a little. I know, I know some of the sites don't actually allow that anymore, but if you can find a site that does, it's definitely beneficial. And I know Pat's killed that in the past. Yeah, that's that's 14, 14 team golf parlay has Tommy G written all fucking over it. So I'm definitely in on that. So, 
Pat, what, what do we have to look for here? Who usually wins this thing? Is this usually won by one of the big three favorites on the board? Do you rarely see long shots win this? Like, what, What's the tendency of the Masters history here on how big a favorite usually takes this thing down? Uh, generally speaking, you want to target like a top 25 player in the world. But whether they're long shots in terms of odds, uh, sometimes the book get that twisted. I mean, the biggest win that I've ever had and really kind of what made me in golf was picking Danny Willett to win the Masters at 150 to 1. Uh, we got mm-hmm. on that number early. He ended, up, he ended up closing at like 65 to 1. But at the time, he was like the 12th ranked player in the world. Like people just didn't know about him. But anyone who followed golf did know about him. Then we lucked into a bit of weather because it was bad weather that year and that was the optimal condition for him to win so we got incredibly lucky anytime you hit 150 to 1 winner you get incredibly lucky but we were in the right position to be lucky by looking at hey who's really high ranked in the top of the world rankings and the value and the odds just don't match up with it like you rarely see like someone come out of nowhere and win the masters it would have to be an extreme weather situation and well that might be the case on sunday actually getting to sunday might be the harder part so you don't need to take rory who's the favorite although he does deserve to be the favorite but looking at guys in like the like the past I think it's three of the past four years, whatever it might be. It's like the 25 to one to 50 to one range has really paid off because you had Sergio fall into there. You had Patrick Reed at 55 to one win last year. So 60 and below in terms of betting odds, top 25 in the world is probably a good way to narrow down outright betting. Nice. And Paulie, I know you've handed me personally multiple 60, 80, 70 to one winners. That's uh, that was that was what prompted the initial phone call when you started popping these out in chat. And I was like, do you want a job? <laughs> you came as long as I remember to put the actual bets in, it's all good right now. Oh, my God. Do you remember that? Mayo, you don't even know. Paulie, tell him. Tell him what was that? Who was that golfer? Uh, it was Webb like Simpson the players last year. It was literally about the second day I was ever in chat. And I said, hey, Tommy, make sure you put Webb Simpson in as your bet for the players. Oh, Webb Simpson. Oh, God. Dude, Mayo, I thought I put it in and I fucking forgot and the fucking thing won. I was rooting for it all weekend as oh, if God. I had it. That, that, so that, I thought I had like – Oh, fuck. That's uh, even worse. To think, to think that you have it is even worse. That's happened to me before. Just like, oh, no. It actually happened to me with Corey Connors last weekend. I thought I had bet him to begin the week, and I didn't. <laughs> oh, dude, I was killing myself on Saturday. I'm sitting there. Paulie's like, Tommy, you got it, right? I'm like, I fucking let's go. Our chat's going crazy. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Sunday morning, Paulie, is when I realized that I'm like, I can't find it. What happened? And I'm like, oh, shit. I never clicked submit. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was about a $40,000 mistake right there. But, Paulie, what's your take now for, you know, you've been great also along with Pat, picking winners for tournaments like these. Uh, what's some of the tips and tricks you would use and what type of guys are you honing in on? And then if you want to throw a couple names out to kick it off, we can do that too. Yeah, I, I think especially in this major with the Masters, you tend to see a better pedigree of a winner compared to other events. It really brings out some of the top players, like Pat mentioned, with being, you know, in the top 25 in the world. So I definitely look at that and try to pick apart a few guys that are, you know, down possibly on the odds in comparison to their actual, you know, abilities or how they've fared here in the past. And so there was one guy I bet earlier in the week, a couple days ago, was actually Justin Rose. He's probably my, my favorite to win this week. The last four years that he's been here, he's gone 12th, 2nd, 10th, and 2nd. And both of those runner-up finishes very easily could have been wins. One of those was a playoff loss to Sergio Garcia in 2017. And at that point, they were three shots clear of the next competitors. Uh, and the other time Rose finished 2nd was 2015, which is – when Spieth went crazy and won at 18 under. So it's very easily we'd be talking differently if Justin Rose won two of the last four majors here. Right. All right. So Justin Rose, I got him showing on mybookie.ag. Uh, promo code Guru Elite for uh, 50% deposit bonus 
over there. They have all the master stuff. You could also go to DraftKings on the sports book and sign up. Obviously, you have to be in Jersey to do that. But so for those of you in Jersey, head over to DraftKings. For those of you out of Jersey, you can go to uh, mybookie.ag, promo code Guru Elite, get in on all these props. But uh, I'm seeing him at plus 1,800 right now. Mayo, uh, out of this group, McElroy, Dustin Johnson, Rose, Woods, Spieth, you know, those kind of top five guys. What are you looking at there, and uh, what's your take on Rose? Uh, I, I like Dustin the best of these guys. The problem is that 10-to-1 number is hard to swallow. The book that I use has Rose at 12-to-1 right now. So if you can get him at 18, that's, that's you know, substantial yeah, my, value. So let me just read it from my bookie. My bookie has McElroy at 1,200, Dustin Johnson at 1,600, Rose 1,800, Woods 2,000, and Spieth 2,200. I compared it to another book, which I don't have any access to, but look at the lines and I think, I, I think you may be in the wrong section. I'm, I'm looking at a live right now, and it's, it's showing 12 for Rose and 6 for McElroy. Where is sports? Uh, today's featured online sports betting masters. Are you looking at first round leader? Who knows the fuck I'm looking at? <laughs> <laughs> I just went masters. This is the first thing that popped up. What are you seeing, Paulie? I, I'm looking at it right now, and it's showing that McElroy's at 6. DJ's at ten, Rose is at twelve. Right, Rose was at was at sixteen on Sunday. But we got we got him bet down at twelve to one. All right. Well, this is all right. So here you go, the Masters. Oh, maybe I'm looking at a uh, first round. Maybe you're right. No, I see it right here. Oh, first round leader. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Fucked it. How shocking that the two golf guys are right and my dumbass is wrong. And, right, and so. one, one other thing to mention about my bookie, they're actually doing a promotion. So anybody that's betting on in the outright to win market, they'll actually credit your account back with half of the amount uh, on Saturday morning of whatever you've got on there for your largest bet up to $250 back in the free play. Wow. All right. Yeah, here's what they did. They listed the first round first and then the Masters under it. All right. So it's really McElroy 600, DJ 1,000, Woods 1,400, Rose 1,200, Thomas 1,800, Rom 1,400. So, uh, so Mayo, so you said you like Dustin Johnson, so that's plus 1,000. You said that number felt a little light. You wanted it a little higher? Yeah, generally, like, my approach to betting, uh, especially on golf, is, like, I so rarely eat any of these numbers at the top. And I know these guys win all the time, but, like, does Dustin Johnson really have a 1 in 10 chance of winning? I mean, it's probably right. close, but he's probably around, like, 6%, 7%, 8%. So if you do think he's going to win, you just go with it. I mean, it's funny to talk about, like, 10 to 1 being, like, bad odds for someone, that if there was any other sport, that'd be, like, a an eight leg parlay but right yeah it, it's just what what do i want to do with the rest of my car because if i bet dustin at 10 to 1 i don't get access to really anyone else that like i like rom a lot this week i like molinari a lot this week but if i bet dustin i don't get access to them so the choice between for me comes down to do i bet dustin or do i bet those other two guys and i have to start running it through my mind is the win equity of molinari plus rom equal to what it is for dustin johnson with the money that i would actually have to allocate because the one thing that i find that people do with golf betting like you'll see me throw out like eight plays but they're all like 50 to one and from beyond so i can invest a certain amount they all pay out the same and it's exactly the same as betting one guy at 10 to 1. So in different weeks where this field is so strong, I do want to take one of the good guys. And if it came down to it for me, it is Dustin. I'm on the fence about it. So I'll release it later in the week. But I'm really leaning going Dustin and then probably drop into Bryson at 33. Okay. So in that top tier, um, Dustin's going to be your guy. Paul, you said Rose is probably going to be your guy. Yeah. Um, so that next tier that you were just talking about, Mayo, Molinari, Kepka, DeChambeau, Casey, all these guys who are basically sitting at, you know, plus 2,000 to, to under plus 4,000. Paulie, you go first. Who are you looking at in that tier from like 2,000 to plus 4,000? Yeah, and the one thing is to piggyback on Pat's point there, 
with, with the outright market is the one thing is not to overexpose yourself. I see so many people will, will pick four or five guys that are 30 or one or lower. And before you know it, you're only getting paid out like four to one at the end of the week. So in a normal week, I like to structure it so that my, my total outlay pays about 10 to one for the week. So now that I already took Rose at 16 to one, I'll, I'll probably only be adding a few more guys later on in the week. So I'm kind of looking at it at a few down the board, potentially uh, in Jason Day or maybe even Hideki Matsuyama if their odds happen to drift back. So the, with the Masters tournament, usually by Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning, we tend to see a little bit of drift on some of the players that are in this range because people are betting heavy on the favorites and the books are trying to balance it out a little bit. All right. And in this range for Mayo and any comments you have on what Paul just said there, Mayo? Yeah, I, I think that's super sharp. Uh, the one thing that I have access to, and all of your Canadian and European listeners will have access to it, is the actual each-way betting that comes in with golf, which I, I do think, at, once you get to a certain range, uh, is a nice way to recoup a lot of your money during the week if stuff doesn't necessarily hit on some of these longer odds guys, and it brings in the 200-to-1s and 150-to-1s into play, too. What an each-way bet is, it's really two bets. So if you're betting like let's say Dustin Johnson, for example, Justin, Justin Johnson is 10 to one. If you played a hundred bucks on Dustin Johnson at 10 to one, you win your thousand bucks. But if you play in each way, it would be 50 towards the win, 50 towards for the masters right now, it'd be his top eight finish. You get one fifth the payout. Uh, so I don't like to do it on 10 to one guys, but if you had it on like an 80 to one guy or a hundred to one guy that you can get 20 to one for them to finish inside the top eight. Uh, generally speaking, it's top five for me uh, on my Canadian book uh, overseas is usually get top seven, top eight in any sort of regular week. But that's something that people should be really pushing my bookie and all the sites to really get up on because I think it's a fun way of betting and you can lose during the week by not having the winner but still recoup a lot of your money if one of your long shot guys comes up to the end and it keeps you out of the hedging market too which is something I'm sure Paulie and I'll talk about here in a second that maybe getting one of your 150 to one guys just in contention by the end can allow you to bet on one of the Rory's or Dustin Johnson's in a one-to-one situation where it can become really profitable especially if you don't take them at the beginning of the week yeah paulie i know i know you do a lot of that um how, how would you handle that let's say we did have some plays on here that are 50 60 to one um i know both you guys are extremely in, interactive with your subscribers paulie in the chat mayo on every single outlet that you have so we'll be there to guide you no matter where you go for this information um, but paulie how do you usually handle that if you got a guy who's plus 150 in an elite after three days yeah, that's where the live betting tends to, you know, hop in perfectly. So hopefully the, the guy you have there gets out to a little bit of a bigger lead and kind of isolates himself in a tournament. So if the guy happened to get, let's say, a, a two or three shot lead early on the front nine at Augusta here, and, and there aren't a ton of chasers. So if there's maybe two or three chasers behind him, you then can sprinkle, you know, odds on those guys behind him because you may have McElroy two shots behind, but he very well may be, you know, seven to one to win at this point. And, and that's where you can kind of hedge out a little bit and gain some of your equity back based on your long shot being in such a good position with so many people with less than, you know, one round left. Right. And I kind of look at the, uh, the top eight, top 20, those type of props that they have. I kind of look at it like horse racing for those of you guys that are new to golf, right? How there's win, place, show. So you're going to get the most money if you pick the win, but you can hedge with place and show on the longer shot. If you're doing win, place, show on a chalk horse who's a favorite, you're really just losing yourself money it's not even worth doing it right so guys like dustin johnson and them you're probably going to want to put most of your money on to win a justin rose dustin johnson whereas the guys down at the plus 150 plus 180 like pat said uh, those are guys you'd want to get a little sprinkle in top five top 10 top 15 things of that sort so uh 
Speaking of these long shots, Mayo, who are we looking at down here? I know this is something that, uh, that you've been honing in on. Once we get below, like, the Matsuyamas of the world, down to those, you know, 40 to 1 guys and beyond, who are we looking at? Yeah, so I actually like Matsuyama as well. Uh, my my co-host Jeff Feinberg got me to put in a bet on Matsuyama at 40 to 1 just before Monday and now all of a sudden he's like plummeted down to 28. So I feel like an idiot for missing out on that. But I'm looking at Stenson at 60 to 1. I don't really love Stenson, but like he rates out really well for me. His approach has just been off the charts for like the past month and like the off the tee game whatever around the green whatever he actually had his best finish at the masters last year he was so dreadful to start 2019 that it just really killed his odds all the way down so i just think he's a nice value at 60 to 1 but other than that i like patrick cantlay you can get him at 80 to 1 in some places and he missed the cut here last year but he's sort of the exact type of skill set that a runaway winner could have at Augusta. If it's going to be one of these like choppy, grinded out type masters, I don't know how big of a chance he has, but he, he drives the ball so well, his irons are so fire that now that he has that experience of playing Augusta, and that really comes into it, uh, unlike almost any other course, if you can understand how these greens roll, what tiers to put it on, where to miss, I think that Cantley's one of these guys that could win an almost a Patrick Reed minus 15 type fashion, and you're really getting him down the list. And the other guys down here are all incredible crapshoots but i do like him at 80 to 1 okay paulie yeah i think one of the best things you can do when you're looking at some of these longer edge guys is try to figure out a narrative to where they can win so one of the guys this week i like is brant snedeker because if it does happen to get windy especially in the final round where they're saying be gusting at 30 miles an hour snedeker is one of the best wind players in the field and we can get him at 90 to 1 for this week so, and he has one of the best short games in the field as well. So if it happens to be, you know, ball striking being bad on the weekend with some wind, I want a guy that can get up and down and make that 10 foot putt under pressure and Snedeker can do that. And so uh, someone like Snedeker. Yeah, go on, man. I would say, even to piggyback on that, you talked about like weather advantages and stacking, that kind of thing earlier on DraftKings. One, one of the better ways to do the stacks is like a correlation of skill stats. So, like, every time that John Rahm plays well at an event, Dustin Johnson tends to play well at the exact same event. They have very similar skills. But if it goes like what Polly says, and like you do bank on the weather picking up, instead of doing like a T draw, Sneds is an awesome win player. But that also brings in like the Brendan Graces of the world. Uh, you have Matthew Fitzpatrick in the field. Like, I think that would benefit Spieth, to be perfectly honest with you, if the weather picks up and it's really crappy out. That you can correlate those skills, too, that if you bank on the weather being shitty, then you can put all these guys who you normally wouldn't consider. Ian Poulter is another one. Just chuck them all in a lineup that you correlate their skill set, that if shit hits the fan, that those guys are still going to be good. Okay, so you're sorry, because you said whenever Ron plays well, Woods plays well. Uh, I didn't make so you're saying because their skill sets are similar. Yeah, right? like, they're, they're like, similar du- like Dustin and I would. You know what? If if it's going to be a shitty weather situation, like I'm fading Tiger like the plague here. I just think that he's wildly overvalued. But if the wind does pick up and the conditions are crappy, Woods would actually be a guy I would start looking at. Okay. Do you ever do that, Paulie? Do you ever kind of try to just make your whole analysis based on a forecast of the weather? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that for betting and also for uh, doing on drafting as well as stacking a. a whole group of guys based upon what I think the weather profile will be. And this is, I mean, obviously we know golf is a multi-lineup sport, right? Like of all the sports out there, golf is probably the highest variance, right? So, I mean, you can see that by plus 600, plus 700 <laughs> being the, the favorite in most tournaments. Whereas in other sports, that's like, you know, you're taking a 15 point underdog. So being that being said, most people, what I used to do, I used to build 150 lineups for the millionaire makers and shit like that. And I would try and do exactly what Pat and, and Paulie are talking about. 
you know, here's my five wind lineup. Here's my fine five perfect weather lineups, you know, make these little groups of things so that whichever way it goes, at least you have something live in there. Um, anything that you guys are looking at as far as to make the cut, we were talking about those 14 cut parlays. I mean, is that something as simple as just taking the top 14 guys on the board and hoping they go through who, what's, what's the way Pat, cause you mentioned this, what's the best way to come up? I know Paulie, you'll have stuff on this in the article and so will you Mayo, but just kind of for the listeners, a little tease, either a bunch of guys that you think should be in there, a couple guys you think should avoid or some techniques for that make the cut parlays. Well, I'm incredibly greedy. That's why I lose at this stuff, but I, I, I I went to you first. (laughs) So I'm not taking the Rory's and the Dustin's like they're minus 2,500 minus 2000. Like they're not really helping my parlay at all. Like, yeah, they probably are going to make the cut, but if they're, if they're the 14th man on a 13 or on a 14 person parlay, like they're only juicing it up by very fractional odds at that point. Just doesn't seem worth it to me. I'd rather take a lot of these guys. Like I mentioned, we're so in the masters is such an outlier for this. Like at the U.S. Open, at the PGA Championship, at the players, no matter where it is, those are full field events. They have like 156 players. So your mathematical odds of getting people through the cut, and those are much harder tournaments too, that it's just not going to be as high. Here you have such a high percentage that I think it's worth gambling on. Like I'm looking at it right now, like minus 700 is probably as high as I would go. That's like the Leishman Finau tier of people. But I think like if you want to start off being like, I think that Poulter is going to make the cut. He's minus 350. Start there. You can just go like Poulter, Stenson, Charles Howell III, Rafa Cabrera Bayo, Brant Snedeker, Charlie Hoffman, uh, Terrell Hatton, Brendan Grace. Like all these guys are like minus 150 to minus 350. Load up with those guys. And then you're looking at like 200 to 1, 300 to 1 as a payout. <laughs> okay. And Paulie, what's your take on this? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And then also it, for the books that do have that, one of the keys that I've done is I've also broken down the group. So if Pat has 14, you know, group guys i'll actually enter about five or six uh of them about four or five of those guys together just so you can get a payout usually of three or four to one and if you can get one or two of those to pay out that'll actually cover your basis for all your other uh, bets all right so we covered to make the cut what about the first round leaders here so i noticed that i read them mistakenly to start the podcast looking like a complete fucking buffoon right out the gate i think i only done it like two or three times so i'm impressed the over is six and a half times I look like a completely fucking moron on this podcast. But it seems like from me, from a lay perspective, it's like, well, if I can get, you know, and, and again, this is probably dead wrong because there's probably way more analytics to this, but Rory's plus 600, you know, why wouldn't I just take him first round plus 1200, Paulie? What's the, like, I'm getting double the odds on Rory McIlroy to hope he wins the first round compared to the tournament. What are some things you look for in these first round leader props or things donkeys like me should avoid when we see juiced odds that look look like well that's the no-brainer play yeah the variance for one round sample is much higher than a four round sample so that's why you see macros odd be much higher I, I usually like to go much further down the board and take a bunch of guys that are higher up so in a normal week with a full field i'll, I'll be taking you know maybe six to eight guys in that 100 to one range and i think mm-hmm. pat kind of does a, a similar process as well uh, but in the masters this week i'll most likely dabble with three or four guys you know in that in that 40 to 80 range uh, who I think have the ability to go super low uh, should their you know, games be on point for that day. Okay, Mayo? Yeah, I'm exactly the same way. The way I kind of think about it, and the most success that I've had in golf betting is actually in the first-round leader market because you hit your – like two weeks ago, I had both guys in first place. I had Seb Straka, who was 250-1, to 1, and Joel Damon, who was 100-1. to 1. You just chopped those odds in half. You're still looking at a pretty – 
pretty nice payout. So I tried to take like eight to ten guys above 100 to one every single week. And the theory is you hit one of those every 10 weeks, you're going to break even. Or if the guy hits at 151, you'll end up slightly up. But if you hit two of those, you're basically covered for almost the entire season. And where Paulie's right, there's so much variance, especially in one round, that these guys can lead after. So for me at the Masters, it's a bit different because the odds are shorter, the field is smaller. But uh, the big one is I put it out on the weekend. So if you're following me on Twitter, you got it. But Charlie Hoffman was 100 to 1 uh, to be first round leader before he went on his little bit of a surge on Saturday and then Sunday at Valero. He's now 25 to 1 to be first round leaders. That's how much he's been bet up. So I would not recommend it at 25 to 1. The 100 to 1 was a good number if you can see anything that's 50 or 1 above. But the other guys that I've played, I got JB Holmes as first round leader, 80 to 1. Emiliano Grillo, 100 to 1 to be first round leader. Um, And who's the other stupid dad? Brant Snedeker, 66 to 1 to be first round leader. I'm kind of vibing with Pauly on on Sneds this week. I was also even considering VJ Singh as a punt because he's playing well this year. And you can always see one like rando old dude after one round be up there. He's 200 to 1 as first round leader. And it's not, he actually had a really good first round last year. And he's playing much better this time around. Okay. Paulie, so it seems like that, right? Like, so I guess the way to explain it to a novice, like you said, with the sample size and stuff. So it's basically like if the Warriors were laying 15 to like a fucking shitty ass team, like the Knicks, to win the first quarter, they'd probably only be laying three and a half. But to win the game, they're laying 15. For to win the game, they're minus 1600. For the first quarter, they're minus 320. Just because anything can kind of happen at the beginning there. But over the course of the whole event, the cream will rise to the top, right? So that's why you take more chances with that first round leader. Yeah, exactly like that. Or, or maybe a good baseball reference would be who's going to have the most home runs in a year versus the most home runs in a week, right? Right, exactly. All right, cool. So any of these other ones, head-to-heads, I see some of this stuff here. Um, I have some here. Why don't we do a little rapid fire on a few of these head-to-heads? You guys will have them more in-depth. Probably will have 100,000 of these things in the package. I know that. But um, – let me just give you some head-to-heads that I'm seeing on mybookie.ag here, and then uh, I'll just go back and forth. You guys tell me, and we'll see if we can find consensus on a few of these. So, uh, Mayo, Rom versus Woods, Rom minus 140. This is first round head-to-head on Thursday. That's just first round or tournament head-to-head? I think this is just first round. Tournament matchup, or let me see. What do you want to do, tournament? I think that's a tournament matchup, yeah. You want to do tournament? All right, let's do tournament matchups then. Yeah, so, I, Rom versus Woods, I like, Rom minus 140. I, I like Rom. I would even eat the juice with that. Okay, Paulie? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. We have – I'll go through the bigger names here. We have some of those. Do you find the edges are with the smaller names or yes. the bigger names? Small, smaller names for sure. Unless it's like um, – unless it's picking on Tiger. Unless there's someone at the very top that you just don't think is going to be good. And I don't like actively picking on Tiger because I love Tiger and I want him to win. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird spot for my money. I know logically I should be betting against him because, you know, he's Tiger Woods. But like Spieth and Tiger are really the two outliers this week where if you have a strong stand on them, picking against them. Other than that, the middle tier and the bottom demand is really where the value is i think at least okay paul you agree with that yeah the, the biggest values of the week for me are down in the bottom range i had one head to head where i think it's massively off down uh, with two of the guys at the bottom of the field all right we'll throw that one out now while we're on it before i forget uh so that that, that one is fred couples or at minus 160 now it was minus 140 when we bet it yesterday over adam long or couples has made the cut here i believe eight of the last nine years and adam long is i think only made as two finishes better than 60th all season out of, I think he's like 12 or 13 starts. So when he's a rookie here playing at Augusta, I really don't see him making the cut. And that matchup can very well be over by, you know, by the, by the cut 
on Friday evening. Any take on that, Mayo? Yeah, it's always tough for me when I like thinking about Fred Couples because his back can give out at a moment's notice. But he's playing well on the Sonora Tour coming in. He has like you know top twenties and five of his past six starts, so I'm not too concerned about him. I do think that he'll probably make the cut. So yeah, Adam Long is a debutant who kind of sucks. Yeah, I- I'm all for that. What's one of your favorite head-to-heads there, man? Uh, it's tough because each site offers different head-to-heads. And normally, I don't do a ton of head-to-head betting before the tournament starts. I feel like my edge is really in round-to-round betting. So I like to keep all the money that I have and just invest it into that. But I'm looking at one right now. They're giving like Stenson and Kisner at almost even odds. Uh, people love Kisner this week. People are off Stenson. Stenson is a substantially better player. I'm seeing him right now at minus 125 over Kisner at plus 110. That I really like that bet. Okay. And when you guys, uh, when you see, like I, I'm looking at some of these, like they have uh, on my bookie here, they have McElroy minus 175 over Justin Thomas, or you could do minus two and a half, minus 130. Um, do you pretty much just strictly do money line guys or will you take the, the whole props? Like the stroke props, whatever the fuck you call them. I, 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 I just do money line. Okay. Polly. It depends on the week when there's a week where I think guys are going to miss the cut possibly. Uh, so like example, like if it's a normal tournament week and I think a player is going to miss the cut. I may actually just take the, the, the spread bet because if the one player makes the cut and the other one misses the cut, the spread bet pays out no matter what at that point. So there is a little bit of advantage to that. So I, you could also do that in the couples versus long matchup if you think long is going to miss the cut. Couples will make it. Okay, cool. What happens in something like that? So, so you were saying, let's say I had by some chance uh, Justin Thomas plus two and a half strokes to Rory McIlroy, and Thomas doesn't make the cut. McIlroy does, but McIlroy implodes, and Thomas actually ends up with a higher score than him, but didn't make the cut. Does that ever happen? Rory, yeah, but it, Rory wins either way. He wins either way, right? So if you don't make the cut, you lose? Correct. Okay. All right. I was going to say, because, I mean, that's possible at some of these tournaments where you can go from minus one to, you know, plus ten in a, in a short period of time. Uh, so let's talk about that one. Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas. Uh, Rory minus 175, uh, two and a half strokes, Mayo. Justin Thomas is just a player I'm staying away from in general. I'm not actively picking on him. I'm not actively going with him. I just don't know where he's at right now, but – to pick Rory at minus 175 over Justin Thomas, who's a top five player in the world, seems pretty substantial. I, I just don't want to lay that kind of number. Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm off on that one. I So every week I go ahead and make my own numbers for every single matchup, and I have that one graded out at minus 160. So that, that's not enough value for me to bet on either side there. Finn out Scott, Paul. Uh, minus 120. I'm seeing, uh, let me see, minus 115 for Fino. That that would be, that number's right on market for me there as well. So that would, that would be a no bet for me there. Mayo? You say Finau versus Scott? That's a stay away yeah. from me. Okay, Finau minus 115. Uh, what about Cooch versus Leishman? Cooch is minus 120 uh, over Leishman, Mayo. Kucher's really interesting this week because everyone's picking him to win. Everyone's either like he's going to be the highest known guy on DraftKings. But I really like Leishman, but... It's like I'm, I'm going full out fade on Kucher on DraftKings just to see if somehow he misses the cut or something, and then I'm in the I'm in the money. Then if that ends up happening, if he does well, I'm going to lose. But I would actually take Leishman there. Leishman's sneaky good at Augusta every single year. Yeah, and and that was that was great. Anytime you guys want to, when I mention these, if you want to throw in a tidbit or something that people could use for DraftKings or or the betting, that's always good for the listeners there. So Cooch Leishman there, uh, Polly. I'm actually fired a bet on Kucher already in this matchup. I just think he's a lot more consistent than Leishman. There's probably maybe a 15 or 20% chance Leishman just kind of throws a little bit of a dud and finishes, you know, 
40th or something like that this week. And in that case, it's almost an auto cash for Kucher because I really don't see him finishing outside the top 20 this week. All right, let's do a couple more here. Fowler, Kepka, uh, Fowler minus 140, Paulie. Uh, that would be a push for me. I wouldn't fire any of those guys at that, at that rate. Yeah, okay. I, I'd, I'd, I'd stay away, but if you were going to bet that, I would actually just bet Brooks and take the plus money. Like, Brooks is better than Ricky. Ricky just happens to be performing better at the Masters every year. <laughs> okay. Uh, we did we did that one. Molinari and Fleetwood. Fleetwood minus 135 to Molinari. Hmm. I, I mean, I would bet Molinari there. Uh, I think that I have them both rated as almost equal. Tommy's slightly better, but not that much better. And the stats and the modeling are a bit off on Molinari because he took a bunch of time off. And then his best performance, realistically, he won at Bay Hill on a strong putting performance, which isn't usually his thing. But he played really well at match play and ball striking. But there was no strokes gain data from the match play. So that's not being accounted for in his recent form. And he's been playing better over the course of the last year, obviously, with all the wins in the British Open. And he's been trying trending upwards at Augusta over the years too, that I actually do like Molinari a lot. All right. Any take on that, Paulie? No, that one would be a stay away from me. Okay. So uh, let's kill the head to heads. You guys are going to have those in the packages. Anything else, Paulie, you want to cover here uh, regarding the masters? I know you're going to have, you know, lists and lists and lists of bets and props and all that stuff. So I don't want to give the whole package away over the podcast, but anything else, if you wanted a couple minutes, just to, Kind of talk about who we should be looking at, what we should be looking for, what opportunities may arise, anything you think the listeners uh, could take advantage of throughout the tournament. Yeah, I think there's one other bet to mention, and that would be uh, what, what the cut line will be for this event. So I, right now, the, the the prop out there is uh, 148 and a half is the cut line. So I have a pretty pretty significant edge there, I think, on the over. Uh, so the cut each year is 50 in ties, anyone within 10 shots, and with the field size being so small, only 87 players. Uh, what we've seen in the past three years with similar field sizes, it's gone over that number. Uh, and we have a couple other variables in play this year. You have a potential for the course playing a little bit longer with longer clubs into the greens uh, and a chance for some potential for some wind in the afternoons on Thursday and Friday. And they also made a change to one of the golf holes, hole number five there, where they lengthened the tee box and uh, adjusted the landing area a little bit. So that hole is going to play over the course of the first two days maybe a quarter to a half a shot harder than in past years for each player. So I think over the 148 and a half is a really solid play this week. All right. Anything else there, Mayo, on the, on the tournament here you want to tell? Yeah, I got some long shots because, you know, I'm not immune to betting yeah, guys. Even though they're not going to win, I'm still going to throw them out there and bet them because I'm a loser. <laughs> you never listen. It's always good to get the audio clip because we can edit out the part where you just said even though they're not going to win and just play the pick part. So uh, I jumped on Poulter ages ago at plus one or at 125 to one. Uh, I just think that Poulter is kind of like Kucher in a way, but you're getting more than double the odds. Obviously, Kucher's playing better, but these guys only have so many more chances to win. And Poulter is actually playing some of the best golf he's ever played coming in. So I do like him. JB Holmes is probably my favorite bet from down there. Like he's such a gas can that he could shoot like 25 over, but he came fourth here in you know two of his starts ago. Uh, if the wind picks up, I actually kind of like him in the wind. He just one at Riviera, which I think is the biggest corollary course to the Masters. He has that proto skill set that I like. If I like Dustin and I like Rom, JB Holmes is kind of like the homeless man's version of those guys. But he has JB Homeless, yeah, JB Homeless. Uh, that that would be him compared to Dustin Johnson. But he's 150 to one, um, and his putting splits are really bizarre. I went back and looked at it over the past three years. He has like four different instances of gaining over eight strokes putting in a single tournament, which is just bananas because people do not gain that many strokes. He also has like ten instances of losing more than six strokes. So you, you're 
going to know with him pretty quickly whether he's playing well or he's not playing well, and he can sustain performance. Uh, and these some of these faster greens, he's been really good on over the years. The short game is good. Uh, I just think that 150 is just too big of a number. So I like him to win. I have the each way on him in the top eight. I'll probably bet him top 20 as well, and I mentioned him as the first-round leader market. So when J.B. Holmes quadruple bogeys the first hole, you'll know my week is over. <laughs> so just to cliff note it, Pat, I'm going to do the same thing. And then, and then we're going to let Paulie go so we can talk some Game of Thrones. Paulie, how do you not watch fucking Game of Thrones, by the way? I, I didn't know that was part of the thing I had to do working for you guys. It's in your contract, I dude. Find friends, so. Oh, my God. Paulie's one of the coolest guys I know. We sit and talk shit on the phone. We talk shit in the chat. Paulie, I would have bet my life that you watched Game of Thrones. I would have bet anything on that. Uh, I guess I'll have to get caught up on it then. Yeah, so now we got to kick his fucking ass off to talk Game of Thrones, and I was planning on having a little three-way throne conversation here. But uh, let's do this before we let Paulie go here, Mayo. So give me your favorite sub-20 to 1, 20 to 70 to 1, and then 70-plus to 1. So I want one in each tier. Your favorite chalk, your favorite reasonable flyer, and your favorite long shot. Uh, I like Dustin. I like mm-hmm. Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau. And uh, DeChambeau. And I will give out JB Holmes, 150 to 1. Why not? JB Homeless. All right. So I got that down. So Pat Mayo has DJ Bryson and Homeless. And Mr. Paulie Maginani, what do you want? I will go with Justin Rose up top, uh, Hideki Matsuyama in the middle, and Brant Stenecker down low. Matsuyama and Snedeker. Oh, okay. Paulie, I, I got a question for you. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you make of Rafa? Uh, I have absolutely no clue what he's going to do this week. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes fourth, and I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the cut. He's th- just been up and down. His game is just so hard to figure out. Yeah, I think I might bet him first round. I mean, he beat the last guy on the first round leader card. Just the more I dig into it, the better he looks every single day, and I just – I don't know what what it is. Like the ball striking is so off the charts. He's played like okay here. He's 125 to one now. He's the same odds as How Tong, and I like How Tong too. <laughs> I think a good a good approach with Bayo might actually just be watch the first four or five holes and bet him live if he gets off to a quick start. Yeah, that's not a bad call actually. And he, uh, who is this other guy? How Tong? <laughs> yeah, How Tong Lee, the the Chinese sensation. He's playing with Tiger. Oh, dude, I'm all in. I don't know if you remember, Mayo, from my serious XM days when I used to do the Asian golfer segment. How Tong Lee. That's fuck. What are his odds? 125 to 1. Secret bomber, too, and played really well in his debut last fuck year. Yeah. Oh, and he man. slayed Rory in the past, too, over there. In what? The- Dude, come on. I got a chubby right now. How Tong Lee, all in. <laughs> it sounds like Tommy G on Tong Lee. Can't beat that. All right, Paulie Walnuts. So give them all your uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, anything you want to share. Tell them a little bit more about the package before we let you go and, uh, and why they need to come over and be a part of the Elite Mafia and join the Fried Egg Pauly Club. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Fried Egg Pauly. Uh, in terms of the package that we have at Guru Elite, we have weekly and also seasonal package that includes you know 24-7 chat room to ask me any questions you want. I'm your full golf resource. Any questions, master pools. And you also do a one and done leagues that people do for golf as well. Uh, and you'll have access to a full bet sheet as well. And we also do gambling education where I kind of have articles out there that walk you through how to bet golf, how to structure golf and how to become a profitable, better long term, because we want you guys to make money. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and I, like I said before, I'm going to reiterate it. First of all, it's like 14 bucks for the for the master's package. The big thing is how much time Paulie spends in chat. And there's not thousands of people in chat because people work, people are busy. 
Sometimes there'll be 20 people in there where you'll get almost like one-on-one sessions where there'll be a group of 10 guys in there with Paulie at three in the morning. Uh, other times there's hundreds of people in there. So, uh, Paulie, how much time do you expect to be spending in the chat room from Thursday when they tee off till Sunday when it ends? I'll pretty much be in chat from now until when the Masters ends besides sleeping about three hours a day. Right. I'm not, and, and he's not kidding, guys. He'll literally be in there about 14 to 15 hours a day um, minimum. So, Paulie, thank you so much for coming on, brother. Go follow him on Twitter at Friday. Paulie, go sign up for Paulie's golf package at Guru Elite. Uh, full season plan. And if you wanted to just test it out for the Masters, I swear on my life, I promise you, that article is flames. It is long. It is in-depth. You will have more bets than you know what to do with, and you'll get to be a part of the chat room community and, uh, and make some new friends and, and kind of start to exchange golf ideas along the way. So, uh, Paulie, thanks for coming on, brother, and we will talk to you later, my dude. All right. Sounds good, guys. All right. Later, Paulie. Mr. Mayo, are you ready for the Game of Thrones talk? I, I am. Before we get to that, well, Paulie can sell his package. My picks are free. They're also bad picks, so watch out for that. <laughs> Mayo, Mayo is uh, so you would be more so Paulie would be a whore, you'd be a slut. Yes, exactly. But I mean, right? th- th- yeah. this, this is how you get your name out there, though. Everyone knows the sluts. You know, the, the, the- <laughs> <laughs> trust me, you're talking to the right guy there, Mayo. So, uh, so, so yeah. So we'll do a little uh, do a little Game of Thrones talk here, Patrick. So I know you are an avid Game of Thrones fan like myself. So you are excited to talk about this. I'm going to let you kind of. Kind of lead. Where do you want to go with this? What are you thinking? Are you excited? Where are you at right now? I, are you more th- excited for the Masters? No, I'm not. Game well, of well, it's kind of perfect because the Masters will end. Hopefully, I've won all my bets and I've won the Millionaire Maker, and I'm just free rolling Game of Thrones after that. It'll be fantastic. But how do you employ no one that watches this show? It blows my mind. Like, where's the bot? Where's the bot on Game Man. of Thrones? All the guy does is watch TV. He he does watch it. He just doesn't give a shit about it and doesn't pay attention to it, which is even weirder than never watching it. Like, I can understand if someone says, no, I just don't watch Game of Thrones. But the Bob literally watches it. And he's like, ah, you know, I, I kind of watch it casually while I'm doing other shit. Imagine half watching Game of Thrones. It's a tough show to half watch because, like, I watch it right. pretty intensely and I still can't name the, like half of the fucking That's what people. I'm saying. Like, you have to lock in in order to even remotely be able to predict what's going to happen because there's so many twists and turns. But uh, yeah, I have a whole staff of people who don't watch it. How, how's your staff over there? Nah, uh, they all watch it. It's it just me and Paul, and Paul doesn't watch it. He, we we did a big Game of Thrones preview. What about Demandicus? I did a show with Cuss talking about it. You want to hear someone who has the worst takes on Game of Thrones? Tune into my show when <laughs> Tim is talking. Where do we find that, Mayo? Uh, that's up on uh, that's on the Pat Mayo Experience feed. I released it over the weekend. He's he's big on the Night King. Uh, that's his guy. <laughs> I mean, isn't that chalk now? Wasn't that like the wasn't that like initially like the bold prediction and now it's like becoming a little chalky like saying the Night King? Well, well, it's not even that he thinks that the Night King is going to win. He just really likes the Night King. He was also a big fan of that High Sparrow <laughs> guy. Like that's who he's rooting for. He thinks they're the good guys. <laughs> Which one? Sparrow? The, the High Sparrow and the Night King. That's where Tim's at. <laughs> the High Sparrow's a good guy. <laughs> oh, fucking cuss. That kid cracks me up, man. 
So, so what, what is your process, Mayo, before getting into Game of Thrones? Like, I always go and watch at least the last season back before I start the new season. Do you have a process to get locked in by Sunday? So I, I went and watched the uh, season premiere from Episode 7. I watched season finale of Episode 7. I also watched the season finale of Season 6 because it's just an awesome episode. Uh, it's, probably, mm-hmm. it's probably a top five episode because everyone always talks about, like, the big action set the piece. Red Wedding. Yeah, like, the, I mean, the Red Wedding is one of them, but, like, people love, like, like you know the the, the the battle in season two of uh, Blackwater, and then you have like Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards. Those are awesome episodes to watch because like just, they look like a movie. I mean, the whole show looks like a movie, but like the action in those episodes is out of control. But you know, some of the other episodes are just kind of better. And the last episode of season six, when uh, Cersei blows up the uh, the Sept of Baylor, that is just a fantastic episode. The score in that episode is awesome too. Very I mean, the, the whole show is just incredible. I mean, from top to bottom. There are dead spots and down spots, you know, as you go through it. But, I mean, I just uh, – I love binging and I just hate waiting a week. Because as, as excited as we're going to be for Sunday, we're going to be miserable come Monday. I, I don't like, I don't hate the non-binging aspect of it. I actually like that. I mean, it's still like one of the few shows that you watch it, you could talk about it with people for a week, have your theories it. about it, and then, you know, rewatch it again and then get fired up to watch it on a Sunday. I feel like people don't get fired up to watch shows that they can binge. That's the one thing about, like, Netflix that kind of sucks. We have uh, – I don't know if you have – I don't think they have it on DraftKings. I know they have it on my bookie. I'm pulling it up right now. Okay, so on my bookie, they do have death props for Game of Thrones. So while we're on the gambling tip, you want to run through these? Yeah, I, I got some pro- – I, I scoured the internet and found some too. Okay, who will die first, Arya or Sansa? I think Sansa. Either Sansa ends up being the winner and she's ruling the north or she turns on Jon and Arya has to kill her. I don't see Arya going down. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. See, they should have none. I think Arya and Sansa both survive. I'd, I'd say that's the most likely outcome, but I, right. f- I feel like there's some, like, it's funny. Like, I'm looking at, like, the odds to rule Westeros at the end. Sansa's the second favorite. But when you look at, like, the to die odds, she's, like, to die first, she's, like, the third favorite. So it seems like right. stuff's going to come at her quickly. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be very involved quickly. Uh, Euron or Theon Greyjoy? Uh, Euron Greyjoy is minus 230. Yeah, I think Euron goes out first because I think Theon kills yeah, Euron. But, th- but then, Theon, yeah. then Theon goes out very quickly after. Theon is getting murked, that's for sure. That's 100%. Varys or Bronn? Oh, God, I hope it's not Bronn. Is Bronn like your, like, your, your avatar for Game of Thrones? <laughs> I love Bronn. <laughs> <laughs> avatar. Bronn's the best. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know. I don't have – I think they both die. Which is funny because Varys was one of my guys at the very beginning. I was in Tyrion, uh, Varys, and Littlefinger were my three calls. Like one of those was going to end up on the throne. So right? because it's a game intelligence, and that's who's going to win the throne. So to but think, I think Varys is down now. To think about this like logically, if one of them dies before the other, Varys is going to be involved in like what's going on up at Winterfell, fighting the Night King or whatever. And mm-hmm. Bronn's just kind of stuck at King's Landing with Cersei. They're not really doing much right now, so we might not even see Bronn till like episode three or four, giving Varys four episodes to die first. I so you're saying Varys? I'm saying Varys. I, I like that. I like that analysis. I think Varys goes early because they're going to have a couple big guys go early, right? Like, yeah, I think you'll see like Jorah go down early. You'll probably see Tormund go down early if he's not dead already. I don't think he's dead, but he was at the wall. And you'll see like Danny or John bite it early, I think. Really? Yeah. 
I think I think wow. it'll be Danny. I think Dan, I think it'll turn out Danny's actually a bad guy, and John will have to. I her. think we're going to have an anticlimactic ending on this. I think we're going to see a lot of people survive. Really? I, I don't know. Just because of just because of the the kind of, and I felt like there was a couple things they could have done a little bit differently along the way. But I feel like we're all expecting this fucking crazy, you know, chaotic ending. I think it's going to be completely anticlimactic. Uh, I think we're going to have. I would say, if I had to guess, I think there's going to be like six characters left at the end. Like, I think Sansa lives. I think Ari, I think all the Starks basically live. I think Sansa, Arya, and John live. I think Danny lives. Um, Sam might live. Sam doesn't seem like he'd die. S- Sam's a lock. Right. Like, he's, he's going to live, right? And, and like, I could even see, like, you know, Bran. Bran's going to live. I, I think we're going to see something where it's like, there's six or seven of these people that are still alive at the end, and we're going to be pissed off. I want no. them all dead but one person. Like, so, that's what I want. Okay, so the big thing is, like, I think if the books had been finished and they were, like, drawing from the books, that everyone would die. But it seemed like season seven, I think, was the first season. They that pushed it out a little bit. Yeah, and they made it more, like, TV convention-y. PC, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's why I'm saying. I th- it, it turned after... After I guess the books were finished, yeah. So you put you put it into the hands of the guys that you know, run the show, and they're making it more TV acceptable. So the good guys have to win, kind of thing. Like that's where this is all kind of going towards. But I mean, I know, I'm going to watch it either way. But I, I was talking about this with Cuss that it could really hurt the legacy of how we think about Game of Thrones if it doesn't have a good ending long term. Like people love it. Right. People are always going to go back and rewatch it, and the seasons are fucking incredible. So, but I as it like. If what if it has like a ending like Lost had and it just well, turned- think about, yeah think about Sopranos right yeah like but people, when you hear- people people like the ending of Sopranos now I feel like people have turned back on that I mean I always did but when I used to tell people Sopranos is one of the greatest shows in the history of the world but, oh, that last ending the episode was terrible I'm like eh, I didn't think so I thought it was a pretty cool way to end it but yeah Lost I've never watched Lost don't kill me but um. Is that something I should watch or was that – I feel like Lost is the type of show where you needed to be in it at the moment because of the message boards and all that shit. It helped, but I, I re, um, I, my wife had never seen it. We went back and rewatched it last year. Like the last season is fucking terrible. So, But it doesn't ruin – like the show is so fun up until that point that it is worth watching. That uh-huh. you know, there's a they, the the writer strike really killed season three. It was like half a season, and it's just really stupid. Uh, then they come back like the end of season three till the end of season five of Lost is like really awesome, and the first two seasons are really good too. So if you're into that kind of like just crazy mystery thing, as long as you don't expect to be told what actually happens, then you're good. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me just see here, Malasandra and Davos. Uh, they're both biting it. I mean, Melisandre, I think she even said that she's going to die in Westeros at some point. And, like she, she half knows the future. So I'll bank on that one happening. And you, you're with me, right? You think Sansa ends up ruling Westeros? I don't know if Sansa rules Westeros. I can see Tyrion on the Iron Throne by the end of it, to tell you the truth. Cause, like, I think Tyrion's going to get murked. Tyrion might turn on them. He might join Cersei. I, I, yeah, I think he's going to get murked because he's been a little flip-floppy. Like, you always pay for your actions, right? Like, in this show, and that's one of the things, like, as you watch it going along, I've, I've been predicting things, like, nonstop, whether it be on Twitter or with girlfriends at the time or friends. So everyone's, like, asking me, what are you going to do? And I'm like, you just got to pay attention. You, you never get away with a, a wrongdoing. It always comes back at some point later to bite you and turn you around. So 
I think Tyrion has towed that line a little too much to make it to the end. Well, I just kind of read about this stuff on the internet because, well, I am a loser. I'm not a gigantic fucking loser who's read all these books. So I I don't have... I didn't read any of them, yeah. I I can barely read, so it's not good for me. Maybe I'll listen to a book on tape. That's more my speed, but... I mean, John and and Daenerys definitely have a baby, right? I, I think so. We'll see. But, like, there's always a thing where, like, Tyrion's a secret Targaryen, too, that, like, he might just be right. a part of their family. So that's odd. Uh, Jamie's going to kill Cersei at some point. That's going to happen. But I have three, like, weird theories that I wanted to get uh, – two weird theories that I want to get you on. Some people are mm. now talking that Littlefinger's not really dead. That's been my thing for a year and a half. No I've been saying that since he died. I've been screaming that to people. And I don't know if it's real. Like, now it's annoying because I'm starting to hear other people say it. I'm like, wait, I got texts from 2018 talking about this shit when he died because he was my pick to sit on the throne. So, so, you, continue. so you are Game of Thrones 69 on Reddit, the one posting about I do not. No, I'm, yeah, I, don't, I don't even know how to get on Reddit. I don't know how to spell Reddit. But I don't think he's dead. I refuse to admit that I was wrong. That's more the reason why. So so the the thing comes up. So this kind of folds both ways because the only people that know that Littlefinger is dead are the people at Winterfell. And Arya is there. So Arya can take the faces off the people that she killed. So could she go around parading as Littlefinger to, to throw a wrench into everything? Or is Littlefinger so savvy, he hired the faceless people just yes, to, to kind of act, and that's who actually got killed. And that's why his, his game planning really wasn't up to speed in episode in season seven, that maybe that was just all a throw-off and he's just waiting in the wings. He met that girl. Remember that scene where Arya was there? He met that girl and he like gave her money or something? Yeah, um, that, that was to like hide something. I, 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 I don't know, man. I, I saw that, and then he died shortly thereafter, and I was like, Maybe fucking gave her one of those fucking coins or something. I, I don't think he's dead. I, it was too weird. It, it was almost like he had a contract dispute, right? <laughs> I, like I felt they were building the whole entire show for me to be right on Littlefinger being on the throne at the end when everyone was like writing him off. And then they just made him really weak and dumb in like a four episode period. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And then they fucking just slit his throat. I don't know, man. It's just he's too he's the most complex character on the entire show. And it just seemed too odd to just fucking get rid of him like that. I mean, maybe we're just trying to excuse bad writing. Yeah, they did spend a lot of time on the faceless man stuff. And it's making sense now uh, because of Arya's, you know, involvement and fucking basically just murking people with different faces. But uh, he's been tied to that. He's been, He's been involved in that. He knows all about the faceless men stuff and the ladder and all the shit that fucking him and Bran have spoken about. So there's been a lot of like subtle hints there with him. Okay. Um, the other one is Bran the uh, Night King. Are they the same person? I've gone back and forth on this. I was convinced he was at first. Now I don't think he is. See, this is the, this actually happened with Lost too. And this is kind of where it ties in is that people have had now two years to theorize about everything that like the chalk theories might actually be the theories that people have right, figured yeah, out yeah, exactly. and, and, and there's nothing that they can, they can do about it now. So either you, if that was the plan to begin with, you can't be like, Oh, well, now we're changing it because everyone on the internet think this is what's going to happen. But if you do start changing it, then you just end up with a shittier result. That's the thing. I, I think there's, and also you have to remember these people aren't stupid. There's fake conspiracy theories that are out there probably being facilitated by the writers and members of the Game of Thrones cast who know stuff just to circulate them and spread them around to throw people off, right? So, I I mean, that's what I would be doing, Pat. If me and you created a show that was this amazing and this viral and there was conspiracy theories all over the place, wouldn't we be sharp enough to go, hey, let's get a hold of a couple people who have a lot of followers and spread that this is happening and, you know, 
fucking throw them off the fucking trail. Maybe I, I think the show is just so big that they don't need to actively engage in that. People just do it on their own because they have, it just happens anyway. Right? They, they, yeah. they, have, they have nothing to do, so this is what they're doing. So Cersei definitely gets murked um, by Jamie. Yeah. Now is because Arya has been wanting to kill Cersei the whole time, and Sansa probably has more incentive to kill her. She hates her the most. So I have odds to kill Cersei. <laughs> What is it? So Jamie's minus one ten, Arya's plus one fifty, Tyrion's eight to one, Daenerys sixteen, Night King twenty, Jon Snow twenty, Euron twenty five, Alaria Sand, who apparently is not dead, is thirty three to one, The Mountain thirty to one, Jorah sixty six, and Kyburn hundred to one. I got a call here, and it's a dog, which means obviously whoever's setting these lines obviously probably knows every conspiracy theory ever and has set the lines accordingly. So the favorite is who? The favorite's Jamie. Minus one ten, and yeah. and Aria is plus one fifty. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's Aria as Jamie. Aria, oh, she kills Jamie, takes his face, and goes. No, and kills I'm gonna, her? yeah, I'm gonna say Aria as Jamie. Right, she takes Jamie's face and I, kills her. As I I wonder how books pay that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. What would that be? <laughs> like, imagine that happens. Like, what? How do you pay that out? Is it Jamie or is it? I guess it would have to pay Aria, right? I just assume they pay. Technically, I, there's. Does Jamie have to be dead for her to take the face? I don't think so. I oh, I, I think that you can, she, you, you, when she was when Arya was alive. Remember, she first went into that fucking uh, weird cave when she, the when she first identified the faces and she saw her own face on the body on the ground. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, so there, I don't there, know there, if there, she there, has to be. There's magic at play here, and that just might be what she's seeing. I don't really know how all the stuff works. Yeah, I don't know either, but I think Arya is Jamie kills her as Jamie, so. Let the bookies fucking implode at that point. Well, you, it, um, all these bets are capped, though. Like, you can't bet any more than, like, 50 Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. But if we can get, I mean, hey, we got, t- between the two of us, we have fucking <laughs> tens and hundreds of thousands of people. So, <laughs> let's fucking flood the books and shut them down. Imagine they had, like, an alternate plot, plus 9,000. Uh, Aria kills as Jamie. Um, anything else that you're expecting here or that, you know, bold predictions? Or what about the dragons? What do you think happens with the dragons? Uh, there's rumors that there's dragons under Winterfell. That they might be able to raise more that dragons? more dragons, dragon eggs, something else like something fueling yeah. the the hot springs under Winterfell. Where's that heat mm-hmm. coming from? And you know, John will find out he's a Targaryen. There's a lot. Right. Like, all the trailers just have them down in the crypts at Winterfell. So something's going on down in the crypts at Winterfell. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that one. We get we get uh, hound, hound versus mountain. That has to happen. Obviously, who wins that? I, I would think that the hound wins. The the mountain hound needs to go. To, to, right? the, the mountain has to go down at some point. Yeah, I can't wait for that. That's going to be an awesome one. Uh, what about Gilly and Hot Pie? Who dies first? Gilly's minus eight hundred. Hot Pie plus four twenty five. Doubt we see Hot Pie, so we're going to be. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like. I really do think that Sam and Gilly end up fine at the end uh, unless gilly somehow sacrifices herself to save sam but like sam is like the george rr R. martin character like he's that's, that's who what he, i'm saying he is george rr R. martin right? yeah so he, he's not going down unless you know, he's got to be there until the end and do you think there's a chance that sam ends up on the throne what are the odds on him yeah the odds on sam doing the throne he's off i know sorry he's 33 to 1 to rule westeros by the end but i guess the big thing is and here's another tough way to pay it out what if there is no iron throne at the end what if they just say that's yeah, what i was gonna say we're yeah, not doing no that one, do they have a do they have a no option no they don't well, that's dumb 
Give me the odds on the top people to end up on the throne. Bran is the favorite at minus one twenty-five. Sansa four to one. John five to one. Night King ten to one. Gendry ten to one. Tyrion ten to one. Daenerys eleven. Arya sixteen. Cersei twenty-five. And Samwell Tarly at thirty-three. There's also an option for John and John and Danny's kid at ten to one. Now here's another option here because here's what I think is about to happen. I think, I mean, it doesn't make sense to end this show, right? Like, it, it really doesn't. But, I mean, they probably have to. So my theory on why there's not going to be someone on the throne and why there's still going to be six to ten characters left is because I think they're going to be coming out with another type of Game of Thrones, whether it's a sequel to Game of Thrones or they call it a different type of name, where they're still going to have John, they're still going to have Danny. Maybe there'll be different characters. The baby is going to be the coming... And they're, they're going to leave us with a little bit of a cast to do another eight rounds of something Game of Thrones-like. Do you think that is possible? Well, the spinoff is going to be released, I think, at the beginning of next year. It's some What's the spinoff? Uh, it's some sort of a prequel. I'm not entirely sure where it takes oh, place. Oh, really? See, yeah. see, I haven't been locked in for – I haven't even started getting my Game of Thrones. Yeah, it, it's, it stars uh, Naomi Watts, so – She's okay. she's like the big name, and then there's other like British. So this people. is the prequel when they were younger. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a prequel. It might be like uh, like Ned Stark, Robert, like how they came to power to begin with. That's like the rumor of what it's going to be. Okay, so I didn't even know that was coming. So that's good at least. So you get like Stannis and all those people, but you'll just have different you people playing as well done as, as this or now. It's going to be like a shitty version. Uh it depends on how many spinoffs that we get. I think the first one, at least the first season, you'll see a bunch of money pumped into it, and then whether it's good or not will dictate the rest. I thought they should spin it off like uh, SNL did a thing about it. All the different spinoffs that you could have and create it like the Marvel universe. The best one that I've heard is that they should have some sort of like, I don't know. Where do you find is the most interesting part of this world? The interesting part of what? Uh, of the Game of Thrones, like, map. Where do you think, like, the most interesting location is? So I think it's Bravos. Um, Bravos definitely. There's the most weird shit going on there, for sure. So you have some sort of, like, you know, procedural show, like Law & Order, but stage it in Bravos, where just, like, people are solving crimes or something like that. Like, <laughs> just have something to explore more of this world, but Bravos seems like an actual, like, cool place to like there's you know it's, it has like a, it's a free economy and that sort of thing that like everything kind of goes down there that's where all the money is all the trade is i feel like there's just good a lot st- of magic and witchcraft and yeah stuff. like there's just a lot of good stories that you could mine out of there i actually yeah like i think they should that would be cool if they did like little individual individual spinoffs in all the different places and they did it like an online you know thing where they didn't have to put a huge budget into it or something I just, I just want more of it, Pat. I'm like nervous that when this ends, it's we're never going to get anything like this again. And I well, can't believe people don't watch it. Well, do you do you think that George R. R. Martin's going to finish these books now because like the Jets have some hope, so he's no longer like severely depressed? <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I don't know how much longer George R. R. Martin's going to make it before he fucking takes a bunch of pills and is just gone. <laughs> it's got to be bad for him, though. Like, I mean, it's got to be great because he's now like a billionaire, but. You know, he worked on these books for so long and like there was such a niche amount of people that liked them. He had a certain amount of celebrity. Now he's like a known person and like there's so much pressure to finish these books. Right. I imagine. And how old is he? He's like 70, right? I mean, the guy looks like he's 150. But... He looks like he's 120, right? He looks like the Crypt Keeper, but the well, fat Crypt Keeper. But um, I mean, that's got to be hard to get into fame at like 75. 
right? Like, like it was tough enough to transition into being even a little bit known, you know, in my thirties, you know, because I didn't grow up like planning for this, you know, like it's weird to go on Twitter, like, especially a guy who's like 75 who doesn't even really understand social media or how millennials think and all his fans are millennials. He's got to deal with all that shit. Like, it's got to be strange. Yeah, well, he writes all these books that are super dark, and now like he's probably online, and people are just like, "Well, I can't believe you had this happen to that character." That's just right. Not, that's like, just he not writes right. books for a very specific type of kind of goth nerd crowd too, right? Like that sci-fi nerd crowd. So it was like you're in your little zone and your little bubble, right? And then this thing gets big, and now he's got all the mainstream snowflakes after him. So the 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 soy boys. Yeah, that's got to fucking suck. So if you had to put bets in on who ends up on the throne, who are you who are you putting? Think of it like a like a golf tournament here. So who's your chalk and who's your contrarian? I think that John's gotta be the chalk, doesn't he? He does, but do you think he ends up I don't think he wants the throne. That's why that's why I don't think John I I could see John having the throne and turning it down and handing it to like Sam. You yeah, know, like I, I, I guess I mean Gendry has been the one all this time that they've kind of like lifted up as sort of the guy that's going to end up just because he's right ru- just, just kind of reset the entire show that that he's yeah. Robert's son. Robert was on. He's the actual heir to what goes on. So I guess John and Danny's son is the true heir. So maybe it's them. But all along the way, John has refused every single thing. He didn't want to be you know, the the head of the Night's Watch, and then he didn't want to be king right. of the North. But he is anyway. So I'll just go with John. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? That's a good point. Like, he didn't want to do any of that stuff, and he ended up being it anyway. Um, so, Chalk, give me the top three for Chalk. The top three, like fa- like I said, the top three favorites. Bran, top is, the, Bran is the overwhelming favorite. He's minus uh-huh. money, which I don't get, but that's where we're. He's minus 125. It's because of the fan theories. He was plus, like, fucking 10,000, like, two years ago. Sansa, 4-1. to one, John 5-1. to one, Night King, Gendry, Tyrion, 10-1. to one, Daenerys, 11-1. to one. Those are your Chalky picks. Uh. Go with Sam, thirty-three. Go. I mean, Sam's my long shot, so I'm gonna actually no. Uh, you know what? I'm going two long shots. I'm going my my real play would be no one. So if you guys can find a prop on no one ends up on it, then that's what I would do. But my two long shots, I'm gonna go Sam as the long shot, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Littlefinger. I'm gonna go Littlefinger still alive. <laughs> I, I don't care. I know they've squashed all those theories, and it came out, and then they've said no, he wasn't on the filming, he wasn't on the set. Was it? I I'm standing by it. I, I'm dying on this hill. I think that we'll see him either way, whether it's Arya wearing his face or it's actually him. So the rumors of do you, oh, when the whites come down and like they raise the people, are we going to see like any characters that we thought were dead just be like zombie people, like Hodor? I hope so. I hope so. What was it? I never read the books, but it was what Lady Stoneface or whatever that was uh, the Stark's mom. Yeah, I don't like think I, I don't think that she was like a. I don't think she was a White Walker though. I think she was like uh, she was brought back from the dead like John was, but she was like crazy. Yeah, I don't know what it was. She was like stone faced or something like that. I mean, I hope so. That would be badass if they start bringing all these people back as White Walker. I heard someone say that they think John could get killed or intentionally die just so that he can come back as a White Walker on the other side and actually sabotage all the White Walkers and kill them from within. Hmm. So that's interesting. So I guess the the two things, the two like weird theories that could be that john can't really be affected by the white walkers because he's technically already dead right because he's dead that and i think that there's gonna be something on with you know how like jorah got all that grayscale cut off of him uh-huh. i think that we don't know for sure that that's gone that could be some sort of protection against the white walkers like that's his kind of that's the reason why he's back that he has this grayscale but that somehow makes him immune from white walkers 
and I can't wait for this. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's just I can't wait to rewatch season. I'm, like I'll do it in a day too. Like I'm just gonna bang out ten hours on like fucking Thursday night and see, just fucking kill it till five in the morning. See, season seven's a quick one too because there's only like six episodes. Seven. Yeah, seven, this is eight. seven episodes. Seven. How many times have you seen each season? Seen what? Each season. Uh, I've watched it through twice, I think. And then I picked mm-hmm. pick and chose and other episodes to go back. I did get hooked on that uh, that Ringer podcast, though, Binge Mode. That's a great way if you're going to binge it just to like get more informed about what's going on. It's it's just a fantastic podcast. I had a, I had a rule where every girl I dated, I made them watch Game of Thrones because I, I how are you going to be in a relationship with someone if they're not watching Game of Thrones during Game of Thrones season? Like for these next eight weeks, it's like if you don't watch Game of Thrones, I'm not talking to you. So – Oh, since um, since, since I, I, I so rarely get to come on this and we get to talk about stuff, but I did want to throw this out here to you. I just did a big like uh, awesome. big 1999 movie ranking show that came out because it's the 20 year. There's been a lot of talk about it, but you know, is, is there anything that you can come on that leads to sex quicker than blank? Because I've had a lot of success by chucking Fight Club on over the years. It, like people, the, the ladies, they see Brad Pitt with the shirt off and they get real horned. Okay, so. So what you're saying, like, if you bring in a girl home on a date, what movie you'd put on to ensure sexual activity? Yes. For me, there's a very specific one. Okay. And it's because of who I am. I don't think this would work for other people. But have you ever seen My Best Friend's Girl? The one with, like, Rupert Everett? No. it's Dude, it's the best comedy movie no one's ever seen. My it's Best Friend? My Best Friend? My- girl like if you google it right now and it's got huge actors in it and no one's ever seen it it's got the kid from american pie alec baldwin um the father with the bushy eyebrows now oh, kate from, hudson uh, from american pie they have kate hudson as the lead female they dane, have dane, cook. Cook the lead, dane cook is the lead male like it's literally there's like 10 celebrities in it and no one's ever seen it and it's not like one of these obscure cult films where only like one percent of people like it like it's literally probably the funniest movie I've ever seen. Like a very, it's, it's a, very a very quality fourteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what I'm saying. It makes no sense. It gets terrible ratings. No one's ever seen it. It's got all it, and I, it is literally one of my top five favorite comedy movies ever in life. So that's what I put on because one, I know no one's ever seen it, but really, the Dane Cook character. The reason I found out about the movie is because two times in the same week when that movie came out. Two different people came up and they were like, Tommy, they made a movie about you. Well, that's the whole thing. If, if, if people are back with you putting on Dane Cook, I mean, that could work. In general, if you put on Dane Cook, I feel like that really triggers a visceral reaction to, oh, good God, get Dane Cook off my screen. <laughs> right. And, Dane, and I don't like Dane Cook much. But in, in, in this role, he, what he is, Mayo, is he's, he's a guy that they pay. So like if your girlfriend, let's say I'm Dane Cook, right? His name is Tank in the show. If I'm Dane Cook and your girlfriend dumps you, right? What you do is you pay me 500 bucks and I, you tell me where she hangs out, where she's going to be. And I go like, do like the meet cute and happen to run into her there and exchange numbers with her to be like the first guy she dates after you. And then I go out and tank the fucking date. Like I'm just horrible the whole date that she, when she gets home, she realizes the grass isn't greener and she calls you back to get back with you. Right? So that's his job. And he's like an asshole, but he's really a good guy, but he's also really an asshole. So it works for me because when these girls come over, they're watching it and they're already thinking I'm an asshole because I am. But then they're like, oh, he's good. And I'm like, oh, you're her. I'm him. You're the angel. I'm the demon. And by the end of the movie, we're having sex. 
So you agree with Jim Shembry, the Australian critic, who says, Dane Cook proves why he is one of American comedy's favorite big-time naughty boys in this fast, <laughs> funny, foul-tongued, and sweet-natured adult-skewed romantic comedy. And less like Wesley Morris, who says, the inexplicable romantic comedy career of Dane Cook marches on. Zero stars. I, I agree with the first man. <laughs> so you have to watch it, Mayo. Promise me you're going to watch it. It's raunchy. Like maybe that's why that's why I didn't get good ratings and that's why I want it. Like it's raunchy, but like he he asks he asks the girl's mother I'll, for a blowjob and all kinds of I'll stuff. watch it if I can get a the bod halftime review on Twitter of it too. All right, we'll make the bod watch it too. So we'll do a we'll do a uh, we'll do a joint review. It'll be the first Mayo versus the bod. Uh, oh, there movie there, there is no Mayo versus the bod. Mayo and the bod are on the same team. I'm trying to pit you guys together for uh, pit you guys against each other for a long time. We can't do it. We're we're, we're too similar. I don't like I don't I don't like this little love affair that you guys have. I don't like my my worlds colliding here and me getting left out. I feel isolated. Well, I I mean I I don't know. Like I mean I, I've been waiting for no new no mercies to drop. The sports cheetah ones were good, but yeah, I mean it, it's like when I don't have cust on my show for a while, people get all like triggered that cust isn't on because those are everyone's yeah. favorite shows. <laughs> I need labs. I need the bot. Just just give me their phone number so I can call them. <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm gonna have you host it, but we actually talked about it yesterday because we went to WrestleMania, uh, me and Mad Lab, uh, and we're, we're gonna bring Kurt on to fucking brag about how he won the NCAA championship. Kurt didn't even the Bob didn't even know anything about NCAA. He didn't watch like any games all year. He called me for an hour, called my uncle for an hour, and he won our little family bracket pool. He so beat me. I, I, I won mine too, and I watched maybe 45 seconds of college basketball all year. I didn't even watch the so tournament. Annoying. All I did was have Cust on the show. And I just picked the two teams that he said had no chance of winning, who were Virginia and Texas Tech. So I just had them going to the, <laughs> I had them going to the Final Four and Virginia winning, and all of a sudden I win. Oh God, yeah. All I need, I was fading. I was so far ahead of everyone. I was fading one Virginia loss in their last three games, and they had three of the biggest miracle wins back to back to back back like all in a row. So that was fun. But, uh, what's your what's your movie? What was your movie when you were when you were a single little stallion? I'm telling you, it's Fight Club. Fight Club has a hundred success. Oh, that's right, you said that. Yeah, hundred percent success rate. It's going to get you laid. Do you feel like like I? I feel like the girls I date though are so dumb that they'd zone out with a movie that isn't like like that's more built for men. Well, here's the thing. I mean, when like D- the thing about my best friend's girls, it has that rom com Kate Hudson kind of corny scenes in it too. Which keeps the like they laugh at the different shit than I laugh at. Yeah, so I'm not actually trying to watch the movie here. I'm just trying to get people horned. So you just skip to the part where Brad Pitt doesn't have his shirt on, and like five minutes later, you're good to go. I mean, but then like Brad Pitt doesn't have his shirt on, and then I got to take my shirt off. Like, don't yeah, want to. They're, they're already in the zone. Then. Yeah, they don't even care. I just take my pants off first. That's what I usually do anyway. Say that's the movie. That's why I was like, when are you gonna start working out? I'm like, I just take my pants off first. Fine, no one cares after. But b- bold move. <laughs> All right, Mayo, anything else you want to touch on here, my dude? No, but I, I think that every time we get together, we get together so infrequently that we have to make these podcasts like eight hours long so people have enough to go on. <laughs> I think so. I didn't, even, I didn't even turn the clock on. That's how little I cared. Where are we at? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have the clock on either. I'd say, I, I would See guess we're, we're at a buck 45 in, I think. I would say about a buck 30, buck 40. Yeah, I think somewhere in that range. So, uh, so we'll do another, I don't know if we could do it every week, but we will definitely do another Game of Thrones, maybe mid-season review of where we're at, maybe four, three, four episodes in. Uh, we'll do a, re- a mid-season review of uh, Game of Thrones. You down for that? I am absolutely down for that. 
And we could do it on the Mayo experience. We could do it here. We could do whatever we want. So, I mean, I mean, we could just film it as a Mayo experience. You can do an intro, and then we can just repurpose both and release them both. Can I wear both. a costume? Yeah, you should wear costumes. I mean, I, I don't know what you think the budget for my show is, but it's not very large. I'm not a rich like you. I'm a poor. <laughs> I'm a poor. <laughs> you don't tip under 20%, do you? I, I do not tip under 20%, no. Okay, good. I, I sent a tweet out that rattled some feathers the other day, ruffled some feathers. I said tipping 20% is the new poor. I mean, I so. used to. I mean, when I was exceptionally poor, I did not leave 20% and 25% tips. I'd be more well, Canadians don't like. Do, do they tip in Canada? I know they don't tip in England. Like, yeah, no, no, we, we, we're, we're on the American system of tipping, so yes, we tip. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good to know. So, Mayo, tell everyone where to go. I'll just give them a brief rundown for those people that uh, tuned out during our Game of Thrones stuff and are tuning back in. All right, uh, give them a brief rundown of where to find you, what you're going to be offering out for the Masters, Fantasy National. Uh, run through it real quick for me. So Fantasy National is actually what you want to become a member of if you want to have any success at the Masters. It has all the tools that you'll need, the lineup generators, the simulators, the custom stat models, super easy to use, and no one's selling you picks on the site. That's what really differentiates it from anyone else. You can go get Polly's package uh, at Guru Elite and get Fantasy National too if you want to dig in to do some of your own research. But the product is there to make picks easy if you really want to dig in. It's for real golf fans. If you play more than 20 bucks per week, DraftKings, any DFS on gambling, you really should become a member. I cannot recommend it enough. I got like eight hours of Masters coverage out already, so sub to the Pat Mayo Experience, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, anywhere where you download podcasts. Check out the video versions. My guy, Paul Shag did an incredible job of getting everything prepared uh, for the visual aspect of all the Master Show. I think they turned out really well. Uh, I'm really proud of them. Uh, I've gathered a bunch of big names from across the industry. So you get a bit, bit of different perspectives. I got articles up on DK Playbook. Everything that I do is free because, like I mentioned, my picks are shitty. So it has to be free so people don't get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> so that's why you lean on Polly for the real high-end analysis. I think we went over. I'm taking Dustin to win. Whether or not I'm going to bet him, I'd like to get a 12 to 1 instead of a 10 to 1. So I'm still waiting out on that jb holmes as my big sleeper but i got game of thrones stuff up i got challenge reviews every week so if it's pop culture you care about uh i got plenty of that stuff on the pat mayo experience it's the, it's the fun stuff uh, we i try not to take things too seriously tommy you know me it's it's uh, dude everything you do i can listen to you read the phone book pat but everything you do has not only an educational tie to it, even when you're talking about, you know, The Bachelor or Game of Thrones, there's always an angle to, to learn something and teach something, but the entertainment side. And, and as I said earlier, the tools that, and this is part of the reason why, I mean, not just because me and Pat are friends, but they really do work well together because what Paulie's doing over at Guru Elite is giving out actual picks and plays all day, all night, take this guy, Hedge this guy. Get live with this guy in the chat room. And what Mayo's doing is also giving out the plays and stuff. But, I mean, the tools over at Fantasy National are incredible. I mean, they're absolutely incredible. So if you wanted to do some DraftKings and you wanted to kind of narrow your field down and then take Paulie's plays and add it and see where they coincide, it's one of my favorite things to do. I told you, Mayo, beforehand, I wanted to go check all your stuff out and then check Paulie's stuff out and see where you guys cross over. And those things that you agree on are the things I load up on, the things you guys disagree on. Maybe I'll take it a little lighter. Then you add the tools to that on top of it. So really both those packages will work out well for you guys. It's a fun week. It's a Super Bowl of golf. Spend yourself 30, 40 bucks. Go get everything that we got on both sides and win some fucking money and stop being fucking cheap. That's my rant. JB Holmes, 20 bucks on and him. You, win, what is that? Three grand. <laughs> and if you are cheap, 
this podcast free and all Pat's shit's free too. So we yeah. do have something. So, so rate and review it. Why don't you? Both of them. Yes. Rate and review. Rate and review and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience and the No Mercy Podcast with Tommy G. You want ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. That is your fucking, for all this free info we gave you to win all this money, that is your payback to us. So go do it. We can see you. We know if you click that button. So you better fucking do it as quick as possible. And make sure you bet on Hao Tong Lee at plus 125. Plus, plus, uh, yeah, plus, plus, not plus 125, plus 125,000. So 125 what? to one. Yeah, he's 125 to one. Yeah. Hao <laughs> Tong Lee. Hao Tong Lee, and I bet on C. Woo! Kim, every single week. You think, you think it's better to take Hao Tong Lee? On uh, the first round or for the game, for the match? Probably for, I mean, all these long shots are probably better first round leader bets because they can, but Hao Tong's like legit good. Like when uh, Paulie uh, said uh, he, he ran down, there was a tournament and it's the corollary tournament uh, for this one. Like for two years in a row, Sergio won in Dubai, then won the Masters that year. Willett won in Dubai, he won the Masters last year. Hao Tong won in Dubai last year because on Sunday he stormed everyone. He beat Dustin, he beat uh, he's Rory. He's a fucking White Walker. Yeah, he's 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 Chinese tiger. <laughs> oh, Chinese tiger, that's amazing. All right, Mayo, thank you for coming on, my dude. We'll be doing this again very soon. I will tell the bod that uh, you no longer want to be friends with him, and you think he's garbage. How dare and, you? And uh, you think he should be off the show. So How sure dare that. you? But uh, any final words, my friend? Do, do not hurt my relationship with the bod. I will definitely make sure to do that as soon as possible before this airs, so that I can get my side of the story out before he hears Pat's side of the story. So for at the PME Peter Mary Elevator, isn't those could you like those are three weird words to use to describe PME, aren't they, Pat? A little bit, yeah. Just don't follow could at it, it, don't, just, just don't just don't follow at Pat Mayo. That guy takes all my followers. Yeah. <laughs> I could have just said at PME Pat Mayo experience, but I figured I would get cute with it. At the PME on any form of social media that's out there. You name it. If there's a new social media thing that was just invented five minutes ago while we were on air, I guarantee you at the PME we'll have a handle on there shortly. Go follow him. Go check him out at DraftKings. Check out Fantasy National. Check out the Pat Mayo experience. Download, subscribe, and review. And for Pat Mayo, thanks also to Fried Egg Paulie for coming on on Twitter at Fried Egg Paulie. You can find him at Guru Elite. His package is available. Hit him up in the chat. Say what's up. Tell him you heard him on No Mercy. And I am Tommy G. So good luck. Stay cash, motherfuckers. Mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Oh.